Hi there, welcome to Series 2 of the Release the Sound podcast, where we talk all things prophetic worship. I'm Raymond Waterman, and it is my passion to empower, to educate, encourage, and equip you to release a sound of heaven that transforms the communities that you are a part of. So stay tuned, listen to some amazing guests, and be blessed. Thanks for joining me. Welcome, everybody, back to Release the Sound, a podcast on prophetic worship. I nearly said the Sounds of the Nations podcast because of who. We are speaking to today, <laughs> which is the amazing Dano McCullum. Dan McCullum, uh, I'm sure that you know who Dano is if you are passionate about the prophetic, passionate about authentic worship. So Dano is the co-founder of Bethel School of the Prophets. He's also the founder of Prophetic Company, which is an incredible training organization raising up prophetic people in the New Testament prophecy paradigm, revealing the heart and the purpose. He's a prophetic reformer. But what many people may not know is that he is also the founder of Sounds of the Nations, which is a missional organization that trains thousands around the world in finding and releasing the sound of the Lord in the song of the people. And I am privileged to be a part of Sounds of the Nations. My husband and I were the oceanic directors We've met and we're great friends with all the directors around the world, which is my favourite part about being a part of Sounds. And our passion, and thanks to Dano, who really has helped and trained us in looking for this, is to raise up and equip worshippers and worship writers to release authentic expressions of worship in their own style and sound. And so really, Dano, the whole reason this podcast exists is because of you. That's the honest truth. You wow, what an honor. So welcome. Thank you, Roma. So good to be with you. Uh, it's so good to have you. And, um, you know, I was looking back on my notes. Sometimes when I get a bit stuck in life, I just type Dan O'McCullum in my iPhone notes and I've got like a hundred messages that you create <laughs> where I've been somewhere in the world where I've been in the same room as you and I still find gold. I'm just like the wisdom that comes from your heart is so valuable, so precious. It's precious to me. And I think what I'd love to talk about today, because a lot of people don't know that you are an incredibly accomplished musician. I don't know many people that can play as many instruments as you do. I've seen you just walk into a room, pick up something that we don't even know what it's called, and you just start playing it. (laughs) And you're an amazing songwriter yourself. You are incredible in raising up worshippers. I've seen you do that at the mission. I'd love people to hear a little bit about that story and how Sounds of the Nations came to be, because that's a pretty amazing story. Okay. Wow. Thank you so much. Well, my musical journey started in the Jesus movement in America. You know, there's that movie that just came out, Jesus Revolution. It was that time period where my parents uh, became born again. Uh, We were in a traditional church, but it didn't preach the gospel. And I heard the gospel for the first time at 15 years old, gave my life to the Lord. And back then when Jesus music had just first broken out, if you got saved, you just picked up a guitar. Like that was part of the culture, you know? So I picked up a guitar, started playing. I wrote a song that, uh, you know, I started playing with just some friends who also got saved. I wrote my first song, somebody entered it in a national contest and I won. 
the national contest, I didn't even know I'd been entered. And so I ended up on a stage uh, warming up a movie star with a, you know, real crowd of thousands and, and ended up touring the next seven years with uh, Christian and marketplace bands. Uh, one of the rock bands I was in was in uh, Rolling Stone magazine, MTV, Headbangers Ball, and Time magazine voted in the year 2000, voted them to the top 100 rock bands in history. Tell us what the name of that band is. Oh, yeah. The band turned out to be King's X um, later on when I uh, was with them. They were called The Edge um, and uh, later became King's X. But I, you know, the whole time I was on the road, I, I loved it. I loved using music to help people have an encounter with God. Honestly, my whole purpose for music was I saw it as a vehicle for encounter with God. And, um, I kind of got tired on the touring route of what felt like one night stands, you know, where we'd lead people to the Lord, but we didn't know what happened to them, you know, or whether they ever got discipled or got in church or whatever. And, and so, uh, I, I began to long to invest my life in a group of people that we could build with and that we could grow with. And so I became a worship leader and a youth pastor for about 15 years and, um, served in local churches. We, we're part of a revival that broke out where we had service every night for six months and then five nights a week for five years. And uh, I was pretty much the only worship leader. So I was leading about 32 hours of worship a week in those revival meetings. And it was out of that and an encounter that I had there that Sounds of the Nations was born. I, uh, I was in the island nation of Fiji at a Bible college and the band, it was the graduating class of many island nations. And they got up and they started singing an old American hymn called When the Roll is Called Up Yonder. And uh, it's about your name being written in the Lamb's Book of Life. But honestly, it's written in like old Southern jargon that most people in America wouldn't even know what they were talking about. And I knew that these people had no idea what they were singing about, but they were singing it with all their hearts. Fijians are some of the greatest singers in the world. And I mean, it was incredible, but I'm kind of laughing like, man, what a bizarre song choice. And then in that moment, I went into what the Bible would call an open vision. I began to see places all over the world. I saw in India and they were singing hill songs, you know, and I, I saw in Africa and they were singing Matt Redman. And I saw in Romania, little, little gypsy church, and they were singing American songs. And all of a sudden a burden and a grief came over my heart because I realized that the reason they were singing someone else's song was not because of the beauty of the one global church, but actually because their sound and their song had been stolen away. And I began to cry out to the Lord. I said, God, fix this. I'm so sorry. This is broken. Lord, fix this. Somebody's got to do something. And then Roma, I literally heard God laugh and he said, gotcha. <laughs> and I was like, no, I don't want to do it. It's like, I, at the time I was planning on just getting out of music and just, you know, going after missions and revival and all this 
stuff and I didn't feel qualified, you know, even though I had a musical background, um, I've never had formal training in music. You know, I dropped out of Bible college to play in a rock band. <laughs> you know, I didn't, I didn't have a big name. I didn't have big money and all these things. And I was like, Lord, I am not qualified to do this. And he took me to that scripture in first Corinthians one twenty six that said, not many of you were wise or noble or educated, you know, but God has chosen the foolish things to confound the wise. And I said, okay, Lord, I, I guess I qualify. That's when Sounds of the Nations was born. The Lord began to show us how important original songs are. And um, also songs that are birthed um, from the heart of heaven, songs that are birthed from the voice of the Lord, uh, seeing ourselves not just as artists, but ambassadors. Uh, those are some of the key points that were kind of birthed out of that, out of that moment. Wow, Dan, I, it's an amazing story. And I love, my favorite part is when God goes, gotcha. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think so many of us feel like we're not qualified. I mean, we were talking beforehand when you commissioned me as a prophet all those years ago. And I was like, what? I don't want to be a prophet. What's that? I don't know what that is. And same reasons. It's like, I'm not qualified. I I don't know how to be this. I don't know what this is. And I think it's encouraging for people to know that you don't have to be anything except available. And it's God that chooses. Like it's just, he puts that passion in your heart. It's so true. And I I think, especially in the in the music world now, including the worship world, there is kind of a sense of the strong sense of industry and business and 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 some people speak against it. I I think I think it has its good and bad like everything else, you know. And I'm mostly thankful that these amazing songs are performed so well and and you know distributed throughout the earth. I, I love all those things. Um, but it does sometimes kind of create a spirit of competition where we feel like we have to be the best, you know, best songwriter, best singer, best producer, whatever. And that whole pursuit is is empty and vain, you know, and th- what the Lord is looking for is authenticity. You know, when the scripture talks about the father seeking those who'd worship in spirit and truth, that truth begins with authenticity. It begins not with the biggest and the best and the greatest and, you know, all those things. It begins with a heart that is genuine a heart that is real, a heart that is even raw. And um, there's something beautiful and powerful about that. I was just saying, you know, in America, the we had an, is the, I think, 20th year or 21st year of American Idol. And, um, you know, I often don't agree with their choices, you know, of who they think is the best, but that's part of the show. But something unprecedented happened this year. And that is... It may have been the most talented year I've seen in years and years and years. And yet the guy who won it was a Hawaiian guy named Iam. His name is spelled I am, <laughs> but is pronounced Iam uh, Tongi. And he only sang um, like Hawaiian style the whole time. And he never tried to do amazing riffs. He never tried to like uh, even 
stage presence and style and all the things that everybody else was doing. He was just standing up and singing from this authentic ethnic place. And it captured the heart of America. And he just won Sunday night. <laughs> and it's never happened that an ethnic sound uh, has won the American Idol, you know, here in all these years. And every time he would sing, there'd be like cheering and standing ovations. And, and I think people are so hungry for that level of authenticity and they're hungry for a new sound too. But the challenge with the new sound Roma, as you know, is that a new sound doesn't begin with the sound. It begins with the heart and it begins with the hearing. It begins with what is the Lord saying? What is the Lord doing? And when we're authentic and genuine and, and true to our own heart song, there's something on the song that is surpassing all the excellent standards of the industry and cutting right to an X factor that you can't, you can't manufacture in a studio. It's either there or not, you know. That's so powerful. And I, you know, I've got so many questions I want to ask you. Like when you talk about the new sound, for example, I mean, I remember the first time you talked about this, you must have come to Australia, I think, one of the first times you came, I walked into the workshop you were running and you made this comment, which was shocking at the time. You probably don't even remember, but you're like, the new sound is not you all doing Hillsong. And I heard right. the gasp in the room. because <laughs> Yeah, I remember that. I do remember. I, I, yes, I, I, I was, a, I think I... I think that was a cultural faux pas or something at the no, time. That was awesome. You, know, you actually, because we love Hillsong. A lot of those guys. I love Hillsongs. I want to go on record. Them. Yes. We love their songs. Yes. If it's at the expense of your own song, that's when there is a loss, isn't there? But I remember when you said that, there was like shock in the room and freedom at the same time, free permission for people to, to explore that. But then the bigger question that came out of that is, well, what does this mean then? Because it's right. almost like we were on a production line, not thinking about what we're doing. You just do what you're told. You just do what it's supposed to sound like for corporate worship. You know? So what does it mean then to explore the new sound? Because everyone is using that terminology now. There's a new sound. What is it? Oh, it's driving me crazy to tell you the <laughs> truth. I mean, I believe it's true still, but it is driving me crazy because I, I don't think that from a biblical standpoint, a revival standpoint, or an ethnomusicology standpoint, that we've really understood what the what the new sound or the new song is. And let's go to that question right here. But I, I want to say that in the book of Revelation, which is the revelation of Jesus Christ, many people think it's about the revelation of the end times. It includes some of that, but it's actually about revealing the person of Jesus and the purpose of Jesus. And the fascinating thing, Roma, is that it starts, the first three chapters are seven letters to seven churches that aren't very far apart, really. I mean, they they would all easily fit inside of Australia, you know, um, probably even Victoria, you know, and but each one there was a different revelation of Jesus to each of those churches, and this is where we come to how important 
the original song is for a local church or for a city is that, hey, when you're singing the global songs, that's good for the global church. But how are you serving the local church? Because if seven churches in a really small region all had a different revelation of Jesus, well, you're supposed to honor the revelation of Jesus that he is revealing to you as a church. And it's like, are you singing your revelation of Jesus? Are you bringing your part of the revelation of Jesus Christ? And uh, so I don't think we should stop singing the global songs, but I think we have to include the local song. Who does Jesus want to be for you personally? Who does Jesus want to be for your city? Who does Jesus want to be for your generation? I think those questions are the beginnings of the new sound and the new song because it starts with a revelation of what God is saying and what God is doing. We take that, of course, from uh, the book of Isaiah, chapter 42, verse 9, where it says the former things have already come to pass and new things I'm getting ready to do. But before they can spring forth in the earth, I have to tell somebody so they can sing the new song. It's like the new song brings the new day. And that new song is birthed out of what the desire of God's heart is for a specific city, a specific people, a specific generation, a specific nation. And our job for those who everyone's called sing a new song to the Lord, all the earth, all you people. But our job is to uh, tune our hearts to what God is saying to us uniquely, to our cities, our region, our government are, you know, because honestly, we need patriotic songs too. And and to marriages and family, we need romance songs. We need identity songs. Um, we need Christians to write more than worship songs. We, we need kingdom revelation in every sphere of society. There's a new song for every sphere of society. And uh, it's my prayer that we we hear that and we capture that. That is an incredible revelation and especially that there's a new song for every sphere of society because I think that a lot of times we funnel what this new sound is to one style. Oh. People get shoved in there and they get stuck, hey? I mean, I've gotten stuck in there. And- I, when, when worship became a genre or a style of music, yeah. That was the beginning of the end, to tell you the <laughs> truth, um, because the moment it became a genre, it became subcultural rather than countercultural. Mm-hmm. And every time that music has been the precursor to national revival, it has always been cross-cultural, mm-hmm. um, not subcultural. And so we are in danger right now of creating a genre out of the worship category rather than letting all the expressions, the sound of many waters uh, be heard in our churches and uh, through every kingdom expression. But it's very, very dangerous. I mean, historically revival has always had a sound and it's only been the people that have been brave enough to identify the sound of the people and bring the song of the Lord, what God is saying or doing, and transpose it, translate it 
into that style. So the genre thing in worship is very, very dangerous to our cultural effectiveness. I mean, we've made prophetic worship a genre. Right, right. But it it all kind of sounds the same. It just has a little bit of, you know, stylistic changes. And and again, I believe things like what happened on American Isle are also a sign and a wonder for those who will see. It's like, here we are, the last state to come into the United States, you know, one of the smallest, one of the most isolated, one of the most beautiful, but also one of the most ethnically different sounds, you know, where most of America is a, a, a melting pot. You have this isolated sound. And the moment that American authentic sound comes to light, it becomes, you know, number one. Guys, I just feel like it's shouting to the audience right now. For those who have ears to hear and eyes to see what's going on, it's like this guy has a beautiful voice and has a nice style. But, you know, he wasn't riffing. He wasn't he wasn't doing all the vocal amazing things. He wasn't doing all the greatest production. He was just bringing his authentic ethnic self to the table. And the world is hungry for it. The world is dying for a new and fresh sound. And it I really believe it's a prophetic sign. I do. Yeah, I, I'm excited because I feel like there's people maybe even listening to this podcast who feel they don't fit the mold, you know, and all of a sudden you're giving them freedom to go, actually, you don't have to fit the mold. Just be yourself. Just release what God has put on your life. And it might mean that you don't fit the box that you thought you were meant to fit into, but actually <laughs> more of that people in that box, I don't think we do. I think we actually do need to explore not just even what church worship sounds like, but what you sound like as a worshiper, you know? Roma, I was working with the Indigenous people in um, the Arctic Circle with our, our dear friend, Mary Elizabeth. I think you're going to have her later on in the podcast. But I was working with the Sami people and and several other tribal people. And I, I had the privilege of going up there a few times, you know, among the reindeer and the mosquitoes and, you know, it, 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 it has a very tribal feel. Uh, but I remember this, uh, this Finnish guy uh, from Finland who was, um, a, you know, a pop singer and, you know, kind of top of his field and everything. And he said, Dano, if I do, you know, if, if I go traditional, I'll lose everything. Like, you know, and I'll lose my house. I'll lose my, and, you know, it's very real. And I'm like, what do you lose if you don't? <laughs> you know, like you lose because it's the music that he loved. It's the music he believed in. Everything, and somehow he got a hold of that. And like three years later, I was up there, and he he was playing ethnic stuff. And I'm like, oh my goodness, you got it. And I remember he wrote this one line that I'll never forget. It was such a cultural line. He said, "Your love is like the never setting sun of summer." You know, in the Arctic Circle, the sun doesn't go down uh, during the peak of summer. It, it's it's up 24-7, basically. And that beautiful metaphor, but he said, Dano, I thought if I did my own sound, I would lose it all. And he said, just three years later, 
He's like, I put my daughter through college. I, I own my own house. I have, and I'm not talking about wealth and all that kind of stuff. I'm saying that he took this risk musically to be authentic, to be genuine, to do the music that he loved. And actually it opened up a whole niche for him that made him 10 times the, as popular as what he was before. And it was, it was really cool. Cause he, he took the risk thinking it would cost him everything and it ended up adding everything. <laughs> so powerful. I'm, I'm so inspired by this. And, um, uh, the question that I've got going around my head as you're saying this is, well, what are some practical things that people can do to implement this? Uh, there's so many, there's so many practical things. I, I think, first of all, um, you know, who is your audience that you're writing for and what is their s- sound? Um, that's really important. So do a little bit of practical research and, you know, find out what people are listening to. If you're in the church, please don't just listen to, you know, the top 10 CCLI songs. I love that. Or the top 10 radio hits, but also listen on, you know, iTunes and Apple music and, you know, different, different lists <laughs> of what people are actually listening to. If you want to reach the people of your city, you have to know what they're listening to. You have to know what their language is, their musical language is. And some people think that's about relevance um, and and unfortunately, people kind of make relevance about trying to be cool. And um, I don't care about rel- relevance. For one, I'm way too old to be cool, <laughs> you know. But what what I care about is, are you willing to learn the language of your audience? Like, if you want to reach a generation, do you know the language of that generation? Do you know their musical taste? Do you know their heart song? And so you do a little bit of homework there. I think the next thing then is um, that's the sound of the people, but what is the song of the Lord? And don't try to find that by yourself. This is a team journey. Like listen to what, um, you know, listen to what the prophets are saying, What listen to what the pastors and the church leaders and even the government leaders and those that are inspirational in business, those that are inspirational in different fields Listen to their messaging and find out if the breath of heaven is on it. You know, it, is there something that they're saying that we should be singing because it's actually a word for our city or for our generation or for even our school or our business or our church? And so I, I believe that that's not just listening to heaven by yourself. It, it's listening to other listeners you know, to other people that are listening for the voice of what is right and good for your city or for your region or for your, you know, whatever sphere you're serving, um, along with what you're hearing. I don't want to discount what you're hearing, but there are basically four types of songs and that that would lead us to four questions. There is a, a petition song, which is what should we be asking Like if you could only ask one thing, what would you ask for? And so really take that question before the Lord and take it before your leadership team. Hey, if we could only ask one thing, now to be clear, you can ask for many more things. But if you could only ask for one, what would be the primary? That should be your petition song. 
Then declaration song. There are a couple types of declaration, but I'll focus right now on declaration of truth. What are the distinctive truths that God is highlighting right now, both in scripture and preaching and culture, all those kind of things? What is God highlighting? That should be our declaration song. So we have a petition song. What should I ask for? A declaration song. What declaration of truth should I be making? An invocation or invitation song. And this is a great question for that. What's missing? Like right now, what's missing in our worship or what's missing in our culture? I I think one of the things that is strongly missing in the worship category right now is victory and celebration songs. Everything's kind of mid-tempo, middle middle of the road, very at times kind of majestic, but not very celebratory or victorious. I think there's room in that category. And so an invocation song is inviting people into that expression of worship, but then section two of the song would inspire, would give a revelation that would inspire that type of response. And so it really is a two-part. And the final one is my favorite, and that is adoration. Adoration is focused around who the Lord wants to be to you. There are over a thousand descriptions of God in the Bible and over 120 names used for God in the Bible, even though there's one God and a name above all names. But the question is, every one of those names is an invitation to a new encounter. And and every name is not just something we should acknowledge or adore, but it is an invitation to an encounter with, with one of the the personalities, one of the expressions, one of the desires of heaven for you. And going back to the seven churches of the book of Revelation, each one had a different picture. To one, he was faithful and true. To another, he was the gatekeeper, the one who held the keys. To another one, he was the planet breather, you know, the one who held the stars in his hand. And it's like each church had its own revelation. Who does God want to be for you right now? If you answer those four questions, if we could only ask for one thing, what would we ask for? What is the most fundamental truth God is highlighting in scripture, in teaching, in preaching, even in culture? What is missing in our culture that we could give a call to? And finally, who does Jesus want to be for you right now? If you answer those questions according to what God is saying and doing, you can't help but have an influence with your song. So simple when you break it down like that, you know. Yeah, it's exciting. I, I've got one more question for you, Dano. What about the people listening who go, but we don't write songs or we haven't written any songs? Do we miss out? Like, what do you say to people that that maybe haven't been writing songs or it's not even on their radar? Yeah, I I, I love that question. I, I appreciate that question. Um, and and there's kind of two answers. I think first of all, get away from the whole songwriting idea, and just still answer those questions. You know what I mean? And and just sing them devotionally to the Lord. Like, listen, the impact of a song is not determined by its influence in the marketplace, but by its influence in the secret place. And and so when you sing a song to the Lord that has heaven's breath on it, it will 
reverberate, you know, it will vibrate still throughout your city because if it's heard in heaven and echoes with the heart of heaven, the scripture says, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you will and it will be done for you by my father who is in heaven. And so here's the thing, if you're on God's frequency and you're saying what he is saying, then the universe will respond to your voice as if it was his voice. So you you can do as much in the secret place as you can in the marketplace if you're singing and praying the answer, not the problem, you know? And, and so you can ask those same questions, get the answers, sing them before the Lord. That can be very powerful. But secondly, you know, Growing up for me, I'm I'm in my 60s now, <laughs> and growing up for me, two of the songs in America that just stayed around forever, like they literally were on the charts for like 25 years. Um, one was the song, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you. Oh, my soul rejoice. People still pull it out of the worship vault, you know, from time to time. Hey, you know what? That was... That was sung by a mom living in a trailer in a high desert, taking care of two kids. It was written during her devotional time, and it became a number one song for 25 years. Um, I think of Lord, I Lift Your Name on High, written by a computer salesman. I mean, these people were not like national worship artists like we have today. They were just normal people like you and me. I know in China, Xiaomin, um, a 13-year-old, uh, began writing songs, you know, out in the fields uh, and and just recording them into a song device. They became the Canaan hymns that were sung by an estimated 20 million believers across China. Um, she didn't have, she's never had a work. She never had a record contract. <laughs> you know, she's never been the worship leader at a church per se, you know, never had a cool worship band. Um, and yet has had influence over millions of believers. Roma, what we're saying here is like, there's the market and the market's not bad. There's the industry and the industry's not bad. But please don't judge your effectiveness by what is now, because the earth is not crying out for what we have. The earth is crying out for what has not been seen, has not been heard, has not been imagined. And that's what the father wants to reveal to everyone who loves him right now so that we can be the light and the salt we're meant to be. And you may never be on that stage but you may sing it into a recorder or you may just sing it in your prayer closet and the echoes of it will shake the earth. So powerful, so simple. I almost have this sense that as you position yourself, it just erupts from you. You know what I mean? It's not like you have to, it's hiding. It's, it's, it's as we just position ourselves to worship him authentically, there is going to be a well that just springs up in people that we didn't even know was there, you know, and that's exciting to me that it's not impossible and it's not just for the greats. This is actually, like you said, that new song, it's a command for everybody to sing, not even worship teams, it's everyone. We're all meant to sing the song of the Lord 
And so I'm so inspired. Thank you so much, Dano, for your time. Oh, it's always great to be with you. I just love it. You probably more than anyone I know has inspired me as a songwriter in particular. I still remember you taking my songs for the Release the Sound album. If it wasn't for you, that song Release the Sound wouldn't be the song that it was. I remember you going. (laughs) Well, it's such an honor to partner with you. And Roma, thank you for what you do. For Sounds of the Nations in your own nation, you know, obviously that's been recognized by your, the awards that you've won, you know, and it's because you've always had a heart to serve the Lord and serve your nation. And um, we are very, very grateful for that and really honored to partner with you. Thanks so much. Feelings mutual. And um, Dan, I'd love people to be able to connect with you. Do you want to just share some of your your websites? Yeah, sure. The best place still is propheticcompany.com. We are even channeling some of our uh, worship resources that direction as well these days. And so I'm going to just say that's that's the easiest place. Why don't you just meet us at our website? As a matter of fact, um, probably the next uh, by the end of this season, let's say, because I know you guys are entering winter, we're entering summer. But by the end of the season, that'll be all revamped and new and pretty as well. So, Well, I highly recommend any of Dano's resources. And I know you've got a prophetic worship training coming up soon too. I encourage everybody to go. I mean, it's the best training on all things prophetic worship. Highly recommend it, propheticcompany.com. Thank you so much, Dano, for your time today. Cannot wait to see you again in person. It feels like it's been. Uh, I look forward to that as well. Thank you, Roma. Thanks so much for listening to Release the Sound, a podcast on prophetic worship. If you're hungry for more, head to romawaterman.com where you can check out my book, Releasing Heaven's Song, Singing Over Your Nation for Breakthrough and Revival. It includes activations that you can use with your team or even on your own. And I've also got an online school where we have several courses on the prophetic, worship, spirituality and creativity. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review. And until then, I pray that you will release the song of heaven over your family, your church, and even your nation. And I look forward to sharing with you in the next Release the Sound Prophetic Worship Podcast.